Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't touch him, please. The girl came over. Don't touch him. He gave us a bag of baby shit. Hey, 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 hey. With life endangerments and murders of unarmed African-American men by white vigilantes, dog walkers, and police, with us live today for this special edition of The Janice Adams Show, makers of the New York Film Festival featured documentary, American Trial, The Story of Eric Garner, and our special guest, the widow of Eric Garner. Hi, I'm Janice Adams. Welcome to the show. With headlines and history being made in Minneapolis, police officer Derek Chauvin is on trial for the murder of citizen George Floyd. So is the American legal system. So is America itself. As citizens and participants in this society, each and every one of us is facing trial. Do we believe in justice or just us? And what are we willing to do about it? Can an African-American man, George Floyd, Eric Garner, Armand Aubrey, Elijah McClain, or woman, Sandra Bland, Eleanor Bumpers, or child, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, feel safe in America? That's the question. Don't touch him, please. The girl came over. Don't touch him. Gave us a bag of baby shit. Damn. Put your hand behind your back. Put your hand So many people in the city are feeling pain right now. And we're grieving. How could we put our trust in the justice system when they fail us like this? In a statement, the officer accused of applying the chokehold writes, I feel very bad about the death. The time for remorse would have been when my husband was yelling to breathe. He was murdered. Grand jury has found the evidence is just not there. Not to indict. To refuse to indict. No indictment. No indictment. Has the jury reached a verdict? Yes, we have, Your Honor. What is your verdict? What are we doing? And what are we demanding of those who witness this violent and all too frequent story repeat itself? Once each and every week on average, somewhere in America, an unarmed black or brown American citizen is being killed by America's police. Could have called an ambulance. Why would I, I the uh, police was there, that's uh, their objection, job. Objection, objection. It's overruled, it's overruled. It's sit not, down. It's not a question, Your Honor, it's a statement. Okay, sit down. Mr. Knight, you didn't realize that your friend had died until several minutes after the whole altercation was over, right? I realized that when they put him on the gurney and brought him past me, you can tell he was dead. And before that, you just thought he was passed out, right? Well, we couldn't, like I said, the cops was around him. They tried to make sure we didn't get, they kept telling us to back up, back up, you know, so we couldn't get that view of what was going on. No further questions. Any redirect? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Knight, you testified that on prior occasions, under cross-examination, you'd observed Mr. Gardner fall asleep, right? Yes, sir. Fall asleep in a chair, fall asleep standing up, fall asleep in all different situations. Yes. Right? 
you watch that video of this incident on July 17th, 2014, right? Yes, sir. Fair to say that what happens on that video is not Mr. Garner falling asleep, No, right? it's not. What we see on that video is Mr. Garner dying, is that correct? Yes, sir. Objection. No further questions. This week on the show, a rebroadcast of a special live edition of the show aired last year. George Floyd had just been killed right before our eyes. Demonstrations in towns and cities nationwide sent out a call to action heard around the world, a call for an American reckoning, the title of this episode. We look back on the 2014 I Can't Breathe case of Eric Garner, a man jumped by police officers, put into a stranglehold, thrown to the ground, his face smashed into the pavement and choked to death for allegedly selling loose cigarettes. His murder at the hands of police was recorded on video. His murderers set free by the legal system. It's a sequence of events captured in American Trial, the story of Eric Garner, a docudrama featured at the New York Film Festival. Throughout this program, let me note, you'll hear technical difficulties. Still, we knew you'd want to hear from our three special guests, Rowie Messenger, the director of American Trial, Ralph Richardson, co-executive producer, and coming up later in the show, Esau Snipes Garner, the widow of Eric Garner. How does this film come about? Um, you know, I was living in Harlem at the time, again, still in film school, and it was just hard for me to wrap my head around it. Um, I was uh, new to the United States. I just moved to New York uh, from Israel uh, about a year before that. Uh, and yeah, just living around about what happened, kind of echoing all around me. Doesn't matter where I was, you know, walking with my dog or going to the grocery store. It was just everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. Um, and um, that same week when they decided not to indict, I, I had this idea of, you know, what, what if we filmed the trial that everyone thinks should have happened and we made it into a movie? Uh, and instead of writing a script about what I think should have happened, maybe I can get real attorneys uh, and find the actual witnesses who would have testified in court and instead of show what I think should have happened, I think that actually could have happened. Uh, and that's how... Um, this film was born. Uh, a few months later, uh, I met uh, Esau Snipes Garner, uh, Eric's wife, at a rally in Brooklyn for the one-year anniversary um, of Eric's death. And uh, I pitched her the idea, and she really loved it. And uh, after a couple of weeks of you know, talking and a couple of meetings, uh, she said, yeah, let's do it. And that's how, how it came to be. And how do the two of you then come to working together? You, Roe, and you, Ralph, how do you join together or ally? Well, we, we uh, Elena Silatova, who's a producer, wonderful producer, she was working on this first with Roe. And I think if I have my information correct, Roe went through several producers before he, he, found, he found Elena. Um, and Elena and I, we, we have worked get together on a project before that. She thought it would be good for this project. Um, so we, she got us to talk and we started talking and, you know, we figured out that, you know, like we had similarities and concepts and, and, and ideas about how this thing should go. And Rowie uh, brought me on. So I, I've been very happy and honored that I've been able to come on board and, and, and help make an impact. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, make an impact on what's going on in society. Yeah, so, Ralph, where yeah. are you from? I'm from Philadelphia. That's why I have my Philadelphia 76ers. Okay, so, yeah. it was below the fold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also okay. radio. <laughs> it's also radio for the audience. <laughs> but um, I'm asking you both because it's not only that we're talking the week after George Floyd was murdered. We are also talking 
the night after essentially rebellion has broken out all across the United States. And I'm just wondering in each of individual experiences, have you encountered anything like what we are experiencing now? You want to go first, I would then? say that it looks, I mean, maybe the magnitude is the, you know, the magnitudes of these riots and the magnitudes of these protests change a little bit from, from time to time. But the truth is, uh, you know, in the few years now that I've been working on this film uh, and now with the release of the film, whenever I'm interviewed, there's always another name that I, you know, don't have to go back more than two weeks to, to, to have a, a more recent example of on Eric Garner. I remember there was a time uh, I was invited to uh, the Museum of the, the Moving Image to talk about the film when it was still uh, a work in progress. And it was the same week as uh, Philando Castile and, um, and Alton Sterling. Uh, and, you know, when we had the release last week, it was just a few days after uh, the uh, Ahmaud Arbery uh, story broke out uh, and now George Floyd. And so every, and, every, and every time, depending on how brutal and how, you know, how, you know, how brutal the incident, uh, how vivid the video was, um, protests broke out. Uh, and so I'm not surprised that when a, when a video this brutal comes out uh, and when it's such, you know, when it's so atrocious uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that's the kind of, uh, that the, those are the kinds of protests you yes yeah. um ralph what about you yeah um like i mean unfortunately <laughs> Rowley's 100 percent correct um it's it, it, it's shameful it's 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 just it's just i i i can't remember anymore but i will i will give you two examples of like protests that i've seen that was this explosive is literally when eric my, I think he, my son was like two or three years old, mm -hmm. five years old, and you know we we took him to that, and that was pretty good. That was pretty like really intense, very emotional. Um, but one one that I would probably put this closer to because that that one never led to violence, at least not in New York. It didn't. It was all peaceful. Was uh, the Rodney King beat? Yeah, you yes. know what I mean? Like like that's how explosive this is. Like, cause yes. that's the first time we actually saw that type of, and he didn't even die, but that's the mm -hmm. first time America was happening. Um, and it was videotape of what was going on with, with, with people of color and black men, especially. So yeah, I, I would, I would probably compare it to the Rodney King. And this, this seems like this could be even more, more painful and destructive. Oh yeah. That especially if, 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 uh, if they send like Trump is, uh, yes, that's planning exactly on doing that's going. definitely, that's definitely sorry, just dog whistled his mega guys for the yes. White House at, at tonight. So, yes, um, I, I am very fearful of what is about to happen um, because of that, because of who is head of state right now um, and because of the stockpiling of weaponry that has been going on in the name of, you know, being against gun control. I'm very fearful. For America. Indeed, I have titled this show American Reckoning. But, you know, clearly Philadelphia has had its history with this. And yes. I want to ask you more about that, Ralph. Yeah. But I want to start with Rowie for, for a moment, because, you know, it's always interesting to know how the country is viewed from outside the country. I, I know, you know, you were younger, at that point when you were home in Israel, but how often, frankly, do you get to go back? Um, so I was in film school in, in, in New York uh, mm -hmm. when this happened. Yes. Uh, uh, um, how often do I go back to Israel? I, I, I go back uh, about once a year, maybe a little bit more sometimes, depending okay. on. So my question then stands. Right now, the, the United States is on average one police shooting of an unarmed black man per week. And um, which it's, it's an astounding number that actually is akin to the number of people, the official number of people who were lynched in the heyday of lynching from the um, 
from the 1880s into the into the 50s and 60s. So we the numbers of that time are paralleling now. What is even more disturbing now is that we knew when it was taking place before I wasn't there, but historically people knew that the police were complicit. Now the police are actually leading the charge. That is something that needs that needs to be looked at. But I wonder how, what the impression is when you are listening to this from abroad. What is the impression? Um, well, now it's a little hard for me to detach myself because I've already been here seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I feel like it's something that it's, it's, it's part of my experience now as a, as a New Yorker, I guess, even if not, mm-hmm. not American, certainly as a New Yorker. Um, and I, I would say, I, I would say a few things. One is that Israel is not the greatest example because Israel has its own yes, uh, problem with it when it comes to uh, civil rights and uh, mi- minority rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, just yesterday, uh, most of your audience probably doesn't know, just yesterday there was an Arab citizen, an Israeli Arab citizen who was shot by police. He was autistic. Uh, and the police mm-hmm. thought that he said, the police officer thought that he had a gun and he didn't have a gun, but they, they shot him on and on many times and he died, of course. Uh, and so Israel is not the greatest example in the world. Uh, although I would say that it's not anywhere near uh, in terms of the magnitude. You know, this is something that happens in Israel three times a year, four times a year, that a uh, civilian is shot by, by police. Uh, nowhere nowhere near the magnitude of the numbers here in the United States, which you say are uh, are, are uh, parallel to the nation, but honestly, people don't even know. It's impossible to tell how many people we're talking about. We know about the ones that, you know, have these atrocious videos that come out. Exactly. Uh, and there are organizations that try and keep track Mm-hmm. Um, of how many police killings are um, are committed every year, and the number that they reach is around around a thousand civilians were killed by police. But the true federal um, agency that actually monitors this, there's no law that requires sheriff offices and police departments to um, to keep track of these incidents. And so, for all we know, it could be a lot. Than these thousand cases per year, because that's just the cases that are reported in the press. We know that it is more. Um, one more question about your your experience of life here and in Israel is this, which is when you speak back and forth to friends at home now, have they you anything? Maybe not uh, not about the um, the George Floyd, but have do they ask you? Do they ask you about living in the United States? Well, I think for the most part, you know, I think you know the United States is a fascinating. Well, that's an understatement. It's a fascinating country because, on the one hand, it has you know this incredible wealth and this plethora of of opportunities uh, that really don't exist anywhere else. You know the. the Regardless of the fact that I chose to do my first film on something uh, like this, uh, the way that the film was made, with you know the, the, the relative ease with which you get, uh, you know, you can find funding, the the availability of funding, things like that, that's really something that just doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, the entrepreneurial spirit in, of, of Americans is something that is really unparalleled, and so that's one side. Right of America, and I think it's a mm-hmm. side that um, most of the world uh, admires and looks up to. But then there's this other side uh, that is almost inexplicable. You know, there's if if you think of you know the lack of uh, universal health care, uh, school shootings, and certainly this you know. Uh, this, this kind of this kind of uh, police brutality that's you know just one branch of a much larger systemic racism uh, that's infested in that that infests itself that sorry that manifests itself mm-hmm. in you know almost every avenue of American life. These are things that not only do they not happen anywhere else, not only right because in, it doesn't matter in France or Canada or or or, or Mexico or 
or Zimbabwe, people have healthcare. The government, you know, sometimes it's better than some countries do it better than others, but healthcare is something that is considered a, a basic human right. Um, anywhere else in the world, if there's a school shooting uh, that, you know, kills 12 children in a, in a, in a primary school somewhere uh, similar to Connecticut, uh, the outcry would be such that it would just never happen again because they would just take everybody's guns. Like it would just wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Uh, and the fact that, listen, a thousand people a year, probably again, it's yes. more than likely more, but a thousand people a year dying at the hands of the police means, means that three people a day on average are killed by the police. That's insane. There's no other country in the world that's even remotely close to, to having something like that. And, and, and also, you know, it's not just black people, right? They're actually white, right? The blacks are, are targeted at a, at a much higher proportion, but, but most of the victims are, people don't talk about it, but most of the victims are white. And, and, and people just kind of like go about their, their daily lives, even though these things happen. Uh, and that's a, that's a question that I've, as, as I've, like you said, as, as an outsider uh, observing, uh, th- these are questions that I haven't figured out yet. That I don't, I, yes. I can't, that I can, can't explain. No one. I don't, I don't think it can be or should be explained. You know, Ralph, what are you thinking? I, I mean, like one, one thing I just want to go back to the comparison with uh, Floyd and um, and Eric Garner, you know, like they both died, obviously, at the police hands, were murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting how the coroner reports are parallel. The coroner, I don't know how he got toxicology report that quickly. Usually it takes about two weeks, but he's amazing, so he was able to get in a few days. But the coroner was saying exactly the same thing that they said with Eric Garner, that it was heart conditioner, hypertension, yes. all these other issues. Not like this guy kneeing on his C4 vertebrae for like seven minutes. <laughs> and everybody knows that C4, that C4 uh, vertebrae is, is, pretty, is, is pretty fragile. I mean, it gets snapped like that and you're paralyzed at minimum, let alone and cause death. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just very, very strange, very creepy, and to know that we only have a president, the president of the Confederate flag, um, is just outright outrageous right now to me. You know, him him dog whistling for the mega cats for to come in. I mean, he's he's only the president for uh, a mar- minority of the people. Not know? even for all white people. And he's not a president for all the people. Oh, no, I mean, I've never heard not. anybody whether you like their policies or not back, you know, I'm a little older than really, but mm-hmm. you know, like to Reagan, that's why I guess, you know, Reagan yeah. and, and the two Bushes. I mean, this guy's making them look like you take them back in a heartbeat. Yep. You know? yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is how bad, I mean, it's just like, and, and to me, it's like, it's like this, like, I, I, and I, but the thing is, I understand where they're coming from. You know what I mean? Because they're first, they have the 14% GDP. So they're very poor. They're very uneducated. So there's no, there's no critical analysis going on, um, but also their way of life is dying. You know, they have a they have a negative birth rate. People of power, uh, people of color, will be the majority in in, in, the, in the next generation by in 20 years. And to me, these guys are trying to keep power, and it's not about democracy. So I mean, I, I think their only way is is a civil war, and so they can create their ship. Yeah. or apartheid system. And I, I think that's exactly what they're going for. Well, I, I can't leave it there, but um, for, for obvious reasons, when we come back, we will pick up from where we've left off. I am speaking today with the filmmakers of American Trial, the story of Eric Garner, Roe Messenger, the director, and Ralph Richardson, the co-executive producer. Back in a moment after the break.
city are feeling pain right now and we're grieving how could we put our trust in the justice system when they fail us like this in a statement the officer accused of applying the chokehold Daniel Pantaleo writes I feel very bad about the death of Mr. Gardner the time for remorse would have been when my husband was yelling to breathe he was murdered Grand jury has found the evidence is just not there. Not to indict. To refuse to indict. No indictment. No indictment. Thank you, Mrs. Garner, for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, we wanted to have the opportunity to just go over some of the charges that we're prepared to go forward on. Strangulation in the first degree. And that's obvious because that's exactly what happened. So here's what happens next. Yeah, that was my next question. What's next? You have to get arrested. It's not first-degree murder, it's not second-degree murder, but it's certainly reckless manslaughter. And what was he doing? Some cigarettes. Uh, objection. Do you need some time? This is a little much for me. It's, it's a lot. I don't talk to cops, don't mess with cops. I was always told the policeman is always right. How would you describe Eric Gardner's medical condition? Significant medical disease, almost like a ticking bomb. In the report, it says acute asthma. It does not say acute asthma attack, correct? Objection, Your Honor. Sit down, Mr. Brown. Do you think I should testify? It's the hardest decision any criminal defense lawyer ever, ever has to make. The defense calls Officer Daniel Pantelari. If we lose, is it over after that? Mr. Pantaleo, will you please stand? Has the jury reached a verdict? Yes, we have, Your Honor. What is your verdict? This is Janice Adams. I'm back. We are doing a live show today, so things a little bit rocky, but so is the state of the country, and that's what we're here speaking about with my guests. They are the production team behind the film American Trial, the story of Eric Garner. We are speaking to them this week because of the obvious parallel, the tragic parallel of George Floyd's murder by the police at the, literally, physically, the hands of the police at sitting on, on that man's neck, smashing his face into the ground, and then the tragic evocation of what happened as well to Eric Garner as he was strangled and taken to the ground. Um, before we had left, yes, we... Um, our concerns were being raised about where the United States is headed. And indeed, I have named this particular show American Reckoning because the um, people are angry. And, and I'm not talking about the people unbeably angry, as it was said before, we went to break angry because their way of life is going. It was a way of life that was ill-gotten gain to begin with. Let's be honest about it. To talk about someone's way of life being predicated on a society that is literally having its officers, allowing its officers to kill one, on average, one unarmed African-American man or other person of color per week in this country is indefensible. 
indefensible. Um, but here we are. You know, we are about to, to have with us Eric Garner's widow. And before we um, have her on, on air, I want to ask each of you for greatest surprise in your doing this film and your doing this work. What has been your greatest surprise? Ralph, let's begin with you. My greatest surprise? I had, I had a few, actually. I mean, like, knowing, having, I mean, the evidence, just like through the witnesses, you know, like knowing, you know, like they targeted this guy and they were harassing him for months while we were selling cigarettes. That's ridiculous. For like three to six months, I believe, you know, like somewhere around that. I mean, they just harassing the guy. The other thing I was very surprised about is the defense of saying, well, if you can talk, you can breathe. Now, how ridiculous is that? I mean, just think about it. Like, I am surprised, like, that defense holds any kind of water. I mean, if I put my hand around somebody's neck and they say they can't breathe, they're not saying they can't breathe. They're saying it's very hard to breathe. So I don't understand how that is a defense. But those are some of the things I was very, very surprised about. Mm-hmm. What about you, Rowie? What was I most surprised about? Wow, that's a good question. I think was most surprised about uh, was how open and um, and inviting Isa was, right? Because uh, you know, in the end of the day, this is her family, her story, and her family's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very painful one, uh, but it's but it's theirs, uh, and and she let me in and had me to uh, be the uh, the safekeeper of this story yes uh, which I'm very thankful for uh, and uh, and so yeah the, the 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 closeness and the intimacy uh, that we that we reached uh, and her willingness to, to yeah to let me in I think was what uh, surprised me the most and, and in the end I think is what uh, what made the film? Because you're not family, but extended family. At as, this point, yeah. Yes. But I think as, he's family. <laughs> talks about him. He's in, baby. He's in. <laughs> um, but with people all over the country um, hurting right now, desperately hurting, because I think what people choose to not remember is that it unfortunately isn't just about George Floyd. It's about daily indignities and the fact that, you know, every uh, African-American mother of a son and a daughter worries when they leave the house in the United States. The very fact that we have to have, quote, the talk to tell our children how to pretzel themselves crazy so that they won't be killed by police or won't be, you know, physically maimed for life by police is insane. So, but at this point, from your vantage, what would you, very two minutes, in in two minutes that we have left, what would you each say to to the people who are out there hurting right now? And, And how are you, how do you, where do you put the pain that you certainly must have felt as you go through this story? Um, to me, if anyone is feeling pain, obviously we all feel your pain. Um, and I know it's, 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 it's just, man, it's, it's, it's the pain and the well of the pain is so deep, so long. It's hard for people to really understand. It's just not that surface pain. And so, but what, 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 what I would suggest that we all do is harness that pain, that energy, concentrated on creating policy. Because policy is 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 in the law is what's going to help create a better environment for other things. So I, I think we need to like really focus on like policy changes, you know, uh, local government getting involved in local government and getting involved with the police. I mean, we have to make the police accountable. Like we have to have these laws that make police accountable. Because the thing about the riots is that if there was justice, there aren't any riots. 
There aren't. There isn't any rebellion. All of a sudden, magically, it just disappears. So just help create with this pain real equal justice. Yes. Thank you. And you, Roey? Uh, there's a really good Winston Churchill quote uh, about the U.S. is saying something like. Um, the United States always does the right thing after it's exhausted every other possibility. <laughs> uh, and I think that's very true. I mean, it's, you know, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get there uh, eventually, you know, just uh, think of how the, the you know, the, uh, this democratic party campaign went and how um, healthcare was such a, major component of it and and the fact that the dis there was an actual discussion about universal health care that's something that was unheard of 20 years ago um george floyd's uh killer is now going to be tried whether he'll be convicted is still yet to be you know it remains to be seen but he'll be tried uh and so i i think there are reasons for carefism uh and, and uh, as long as people keep um, fighting for their for what's right, and fighting for theirs. The film is American Trial. The filmmakers have been our guests, Roy Messenger, the director, and Ralph Richardson, the co-executive producer. Thank you both for being with me today. I don't think the audience got to see the trailer, but... After the show, I'll make sure it goes up on my website. And I know the links to the American Trial uh, website, as well as a wonderful interview that was done with the New York Film Festival in, in 2019, when the film had its premiere. There is a link to that on my website as well. So, But I will make sure that the, um, that the trailer goes on the website as well. Thank you both. We are, after the break, we are going to be joined by Esau Snipe. She is the widow of Eric Garner. Thank you. Thank both. you, Janice. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. Thanks. Bye-bye. Janice Adams, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us today. Thank you for having me. And to the audience, we are live today and we are as remote as we can be, so please forgive us for that, but thank you for staying with us on this really important episode of the Janice Adams Show. With me now is Esau Knight. She is the widow of Eric Garner. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I would like to ask you, before we begin, I am introducing you as the widow of Eric Garner, for obvious reasons. But tell us something about you, just about you as a person. And the woman we would have known and admired and appreciated had this horrible thing not happened? Well, basically, I was an at-home mom uh, raising my five children at the time. Um, I had six originally. Um, I lost a daughter in 97. Um, and I lost another daughter in 2017. Yes, Erica Garner. Yes. Um, so now I just have my four remaining children, Chardonnay, Eric, Emery, and Emerald. Um, and I'm a grandma, and basically that's what 
I focus on is being a grandmother to my three beautiful grandchildren, mm-hmm. Alyssa, 10, Kaylee is 8, and EJ is 2, going to be 3. Um, and basically, I'm just at home, and, you know, I never thought that anything I had to say would resonate all over the world, but after the death of my husband, um, people were interested in what I had to say, and I had to remain strong and vigilant because of my grandchildren. They have to still grow up in this world, and my son and my, my remaining two daughters, we still have to live on, and... Mm-hmm. The death of my husband made it very difficult um, in continuing to live on and be who I am and try to be the best representative of him that he no longer can speak for himself. So I had to step up and step in and be thrust into the spotlight at the drop of a dime, um, mm-hmm. which was scary, and um, but it also empowered me knowing that my words would resonate through the world and everything that I had to represent, I had to put my best face forward yeah. and be who I am but remain who I am at the same time. So when you are, um, I mean, the position in which you've been been put is is obviously unfathomable, but you have, life has put you in that position, and your grandchildren, your children. When you are together as a family, what is the thing that you really try to celebrate about him so that they will know their grandfather and not just the victim of a horrific incident? Well, fortunately, he did spend a lot of time with our grandchildren, um, which was only Alyssa and Kaylee at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, he was gone before EJ was born. Um, but they remember their grandpa so vividly, so vividly, like, it amazes me sometimes that, you know, because Kaylee was only two, and Alyssa Mm -hmm. was six, so it's like, well, what, she was five, like, four going on five, and for them to still remember him is, like, remarkable sometimes, you know, and we sit around and we talk about, you know, Erica as well, and also, Mm -hmm. you know, their grandpa, and they say, oh, I remember grandpa used to push me on the swings, and we would always have cookouts. Huh? I said, how wonderful that they have that. Yes, you know, and they have these memories because he made it a point to be in their lives, you know, as much as he was in his children's lives, he was in his grandchildren's life. Like, we kept them every weekend, you know, we kept them every holiday, you know, we always spent the holidays together. No matter what he did, Monday through Saturday, Sunday was a family day for him. You know, it was oh. always about family on Sundays, um, mm-hmm. Father's Day, Mother's Day, all birthdays, um, yes, Easter. Uh, we did everything, you know, family reunions every year. Um, you know, and so in the we have, time that we have, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I didn't mean to step okay. on you. I, I was just saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to 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 step on you, but in the little time that we we have left, and I'm so sorry the time is so short, but you understand the technical problems that we had, so I'm just 
grateful to speak with you at all. But in the little time we have left, I know you have two sons, one who graduated college and one who started college? Well, my oldest son graduated college, which is Eric, and then Emery, he started, but now he's more or less into video games and stuff, and he wants to go back, but I don't know if he's going to want to go back. I don't know. He He's indecisive right now, but right so now they're just find at home. Way. He'll find his way. Yeah. He has a family who that loves him. He'll find his way. Um in in you know, unfortunately we only have two minutes left. And I wanted to ask you, for the families who are indescribably going through what you know only too well, are you in touch or over the years have any of the families who've been similarly victimized have you been in touch with each other? Well, uh, Mike Brown keeps in touch with me. Uh, as a matter of fact, he called me yesterday, and I missed his call. Mm. But um, Mike Brown keeps so, in touch. Um, and not really too many of the other families. Um, but the Brown family, we really connected through the death of his mm-hmm. son, Mike Brown, and the death of my yeah. husband. We connected on a whole nother level. So whenever he's had something in Missouri, he always calls me and invites me down. Um, he always comes up when we have something for Eric or Erica. You know, the last mm-hmm. thing that we had, which was Erica's one year anniversary of her death, he came up and he spent time. He spent hours with us. He went home with us. He went to the funeral. He went home afterwards. We had food and drinks and stuff. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's really the only person that I've really kept in touch with besides the Uh, people that come through Reverend Al Sharpton's uh, National uh, Action Network. Um, And that's about it. I really try to keep a low profile, and I'm really just out in Jersey enjoying grandma life. Yes, and thank goodness this amazing film... Uh, I wish I had so much more time to speak with you. I, I, um, I'm glad you mentioned Erica because, of course, she, she blossomed into this amazing human rights champion um, for her dad, for so many people. And so we raised her name at, at the same time. But is, is, as we close, is there one last, if, if there's just one thing, 30 seconds, that you would tell other people who are grieving a new right now, what would that be? To keep fighting, never give up, keep the hope, and be prepared for the long haul because it's never going to be over. It's never over. After six years, I'm still going through it. So it's never over. Be prepared for the long haul. Issa Snipes, uh, widow of Eric Garner, thank you so much for joining us today. I truly appreciate your spirit and your presence. Thank you so much for having me, and you guys have a blessed day. Thank you. You too. Goodbye now. Bye-bye. We believe in freedom, For more about today's show, visit my website, JanusAdams.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-A-D-A-M-S.com. From the studios of WJFF Radio Catskill, production Jason Dole, this show is a production of Janice Adams, LLC, All Rights Reserved. They have the courage where we fail And if I can but shed some light As they carry us through the gate We who believe in freedom
the better I know that the secret of my going on is when the reins are in the hands of the young who dare to run against the storm. We who believe in freedom cannot to shine on me I need to be one in the number as we stand against tyranny Don't mean a whole lot I've come to realize That teaching others to stand and fight Is the only way I struggle survive Oh, oh we who believe in a freedom And 